Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right. Good morning, everybody. It is great to see you all. And I just want to thank you so much for being a part of At The Movies this year. I know you've already been thanked for that. We had so much prayer and and fun in the preparation of putting it together for you this year. And it's been awesome to see how God has used it to transform lives once again. Um, Now, this morning, we're going to dive into a brand new series entitled A Bright Future Together. And the operative word here is together. Together, the bright future is. And uh, I just want to say that right up front, that there is some room in front of us spiritually to take some steps as we are re-entering the body of Christ. As we are coming out of, and I know this is a complicated and unknown path of COVID-19 pandemic and the world and us and all of that, but we have this freedom now that over the last six weeks, this is the seventh week that we have had a campus with mass optional, and we want to invite you to begin to come back. We still have a large percentage of our body that is staying away or has, is really reticent to be able to make that next step to get plugged back in. And I just want to really challenge you to take that next step. There is a temptation, and I want to speak to it this morning, kind of the elephant in the room. I want to encourage you to resist the temptation to remain secluded, okay? This has not served us well. Now, let me just say, first of all, I understand there are legitimate medical reasons that some people, those of you who are joining us online this morning, you're staying at home because you have to. You're taking care of someone who is uh, like in a special situation and you need to be able to stay online. And I get that. There is no judgment there and you need to do what you need to do and know that you are exactly where you need to be. Now, with that said, there's a whole nother category of people and I know this because I've had many, many, many conversations, just had another one over the weekend with another couple that said, oh my gosh, we have been planning to come back. But if I'm honest, it's really hard not having church in my PJs every Sunday morning, okay? And let's just be honest. Now, some of you are watching, you're laughing because you're home saying, oh my gosh, look at us. That's what we're doing right now. It is hard to get back in the practice. It's hard to get back in the, in the habit of coming. And then after, you know, we, we went kicking and screaming into the pandemic, and now we're kind of going kicking and screaming out of it. So uh, I just want to encourage you to take that next step. Maybe that's going from uh, not coming at all to just starting to come back. coming back once or twice a month. Maybe you're coming once or twice a month, and maybe it's like, now we need to up that to two, three, four times a month. I get vacations, et cetera. That's that's the exception, but really making it a regular part of your habit for you personally or for your family. Uh, And then there's others of you that have like, before the pandemic and during it, like this whole getting involved in a church and getting plugged in is radically new territory for you. And so we understand that that's where some of you are, and you need a little time to process that as you take a next step. But I want to encourage you as well to take the next step because there's a temptation to just sort of keep doing what we've been doing, 
There's that sort of law of inertia of like just the matter that's in motion wants to stay in motion. Just keep doing what we're doing because it's hard to break now back out of the new habit into the old habit. And and I would truly believe that some of the greatest things that God has in store for us is taking that next step of getting plugged back into the body of Christ and really beginning to attend and, and get involved. Maybe that's for you is, is getting in a small group or it's volunteering, it's get, becoming a part of what we're doing. Now, I know some of the pushback questions that sometimes people are gonna ask is like, what's wrong with just continuing to consume content on the internet? Because let's face it, there is more awesome, amazing, diverse Christian content right now, today, than maybe ever other t- any other time in the history of Christendom. Like, everybody and anything you want to see, it's all out there just a few clicks away, right? What, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with just continuing to, like, I can hear preaching all throughout the week. What, that, that's, not, that's not a big deal, Will. Like, why can't we just remain a virtual community, that we don't really need to actually physically be together anymore? That is a great question to which I want to speak to today. And the way I want to address that is to look at a conversation between Jesus and a Pharisee over in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 and following. Now, this guy wasn't just any Pharisee. He was like a Pharisee among the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were known to be experts in the Old Testament Jewish law. This guy was like the expert among the experts, okay? And we're told that he came to Jesus and asked a question to try to trick him, to try to trip him up publicly in front of everybody, uh, try to embarrass him. Because one of the things that the Pharisees used to do a lot was to try to, out of the 600 plus laws that they had classified, most of which were not God's laws, they were man-made laws, that they would impose on people to say, if you want to be in God's good graces, you need to keep all these 600 plus laws, and if you don't, you're going to hear about it from us. Very legalistic, very condemning, very kind of horrible and oppressive way to live before God. And the 600 laws, there was lots of debate among the Pharisees of which ones were most important and which were were lesser important. What were the most important ones that you had to remember and which were the other ones that were sort of like, it's okay if you forget those, right? Because it's hard to keep 600 plus laws current in your mind all the time. So he decides, I'm gonna put it to Jesus. I'm gonna ask Jesus the very question that we debate all the time in pharisaical circles. And here's what he says in verse 26. He says, teacher, which is the greatest command, commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love this brilliant answer. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. He goes on to say, and the second is like it. Love your, let's say it together, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he tells us why. Not only does he answer the question, but he says, and here's why this is the answer. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Everything that was given to you to keep in the Old Testament in terms of law to remember, all the Ten Commandments, all the moral law, everything that God has given you, if you do these two, you will just buy uh, kind of a byproduct of obeying these, you will do all the rest of them. You will obey all the rest. So if you'll just remember these two and they go together, 
You can't pull them apart. They go together to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, love your neighbor as yourself. If you do these, you will follow God. You will do what he, you will just, uh, as a byproduct, honor God. You will be blessed by God. You will glorify God if you do these things, right? So, in a sense, what he's saying is it's, you're making it overly complicated. And what God really is looking for is learning to love him and learning to love other people, but you cannot do that in isolation. If you think about it, these Pharisees had access to more God content of their day than anybody else. They had access to all of the God thoughts, and it was going right over their heads. And Jesus is saying, you've forgotten to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is showing us that the only way, the only way, um, the greatest commandment is lived and learned is in community. It's something that we do together. It's something that we cannot do purely in isolation. It's something that we have to do together. Now, why is that so true? And why is that so pertinent to us today? Because you and I were told back in Genesis, the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter one, verses 26 and 27, that you and I were created in God's image. When God made humankind, he says, may we make them in our image. Speaking of the Trinity, that God at his Trinitarian essence is a sweet, loving community. That each member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not three gods, one God, three persons, they each one exalt the other two. Jesus was constantly saying that I only do what my Father tells me to do. And then right before his crucifixion, he tells his followers, it is better that I physically go away and that the Holy Spirit comes than for me to stay here. Constantly exalting, same thing, the Holy Spirit is always lifting up Jesus and the Father, the Word, the Logos, Jesus and the Father, and the Father is saying, King of kings, Lord of lords, my Son, Jesus. And the Spirit of Jesus is what raised him from the dead. It was the Holy Spirit, and it is the Holy Spirit that empowers you to obey me. Without him, you can't do it. God is constantly doing the same thing. All three are constantly raising the other two, exalting the other two. And God says, and you have been made to live in sweet, loving community with other believers. Not theoretical, online, virtual community, but actual, real people community. That is what you've been made for and what I have been made for. Now, when we all enter into this world, when we were born, we were born into a relational system, a community. And it looked different for every single one of us. It looks a little different. Maybe it was your biological parents that was your community that raised you. Or maybe it was an aunt or an uncle. Maybe it was a grandma, grandpa. Uh, maybe it was an adoptive parents. Maybe it was foster parents that first loved you. Maybe whoever it was, it, many different ways in which it happened for us. It was that original community that helped set the trajectory of your soul. For better or for worse, in nuances and in big ways, you were taught how to live and how to trust. Trust was a big, big, big issue that we, le we learned early on how to trust or to distrust. Maybe you grew up in a home where you were taught, don't you trust anybody. 
You can't trust God. You can't trust them. You can't trust the government. You can't trust whatever. And maybe they had lots of good reasons. And it is really difficult for you to trust anyone, God included, today. In other words, let's put it another way. In learning to trust our caregivers, in learning to trust our caregivers, we learn to trust God, others, and even ourselves in this process because it was in that home that we first learn how to do this. And that trust is either set or it isn't. But the reality is, some of you would say, well, if that's true, then I am up the creek because I had really unhealthy parents. I had really unhealthy people raising me early on. They were not relationally healthy. They might have been addicted to drugs, alcohol, sex, porn, whatever. And it was just a part of your life and it, it, it affected you or maybe they were very um, apprehensive to trust anyone and that fear and that lack of trust has carried with you right down to this moment. We all carry that kind of stuff with us. And this, this trust is so critical that we learn how to do this, to, to trust God, to trust other people. And without trust in our relationships, our relationships will suffer. Our relationship with God will suffer. Our relationship with our spouse will suffer. The people that you love the most will suffer if you don't know how to trust, if you have not learned how to trust. Um, another way to think about it like this is uh, that the trust is the relational glue that holds us together. You may have lots of people that you call your friends, they're really acquaintances, but only a few people you really trust that are really close to you. And some of you may, and this is a horrible thing to admit, but it may be the reality of your life, you say, I don't really have any close friends. I don't really have anybody that I really trust. Maybe you're at home, you're saying, that's me. Or I have very few people that I feel like I can actually trust. And if we don't trust people, we'll never be close with them. We'll be congenial, we'll be polite, we'll work alongside them. But if you don't trust that guy, you're never gonna get close to him. If you can't trust this girl, you, you'll never get close to him. I've seen in marriages, if a wife cannot trust her husband, it is the beginning of the end, right? I, I can't trust him, I can't trust his word, I can't trust where he's gonna go, I don't know. I don't, or vice versa, I've heard husbands say the same thing. If they cannot trust their wife, there's not gonna be any intimacy there. No, not real intimacy. It's gonna be really, really difficult. Trust is so powerful, and it is something we learn from God and we learn from community. And there's only one proven way to rebuild the trust that's been lost in our upbringing. It requires actual, personal relationships, not virtual ones, actual ones. And what we see reiterated throughout Scripture and the narrative of God from Genesis to Revelation is that this is what the community of faith, the church, and the community of family is for. This is the purpose it serves, is to help buttress, support, to grow and enhance trust in God and one another. And I get it. We got a fallen, broken world. There's people that can't be trusted, but that does not give us an out to say, then I don't trust anybody. That is a dark, downward spiral that will hurt you. It will lead to depression. It will lead to thoughts of suicide. 
It's horrible. So what did God do throughout Scripture and throughout history, throughout biblical history? God always chose to work through imperfect people in a community. Going all the way back to Genesis, in the early stages of Genesis, we see God pulling together a community, a promise, and a covenant that he makes with Abraham and Sarah. And then years later, through Moses, through King David, most famous king of Israel's history, the the prophet Isaiah, then through Queen Esther, and this is just a few of many, many names that we could put that all came from the same community that God chose, not because they were more worthy or more holy than anybody else. It was just because of his divine purpose. He chose them. He chose them out of this community called the Israelites. The Israelites. And this is a big part of the story of the Old Testament is this community and what God was trying to do and how they failed and came back and repented and and there was slavery that they fell into and cried out to God and he emancipated them and got them free and they were successful and powerful and then fell back into sin and there was this full cycle that just happened over and over again. But it was out of the Israelites God began to prophesy that a Messiah is coming that my son, the son of God, the savior of the world is coming. And it was out of the community of the Israelites that Jesus Christ came, that God plucked him out, that he was the perfect personification, the perfect expression of who God is from among his people to start a brand new community, a new community of disciples that he started. And and what's interesting that of the 12 disciples of Jesus, one of the 12, Judas, did exactly what I told you earlier. Out of distrust for Jesus, distrust for others, distrust for God, he downward spiraled into a dark place and took his own life. And that's what happened. But out of the other 11 that were still left, they said, we're all in, Jesus. And they obeyed him. They took his great commission and went out and began to make more disciples Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And they took that to heart. And they started doing that. And out of that came the church, big C, global church movement that God began to move on every continent and nation and it's still happening today and there are these small local gatherings of communities of faith of which Brazos Fellowship is a part, this community of faith, this local expression of God's body, that his community that we can belong to, and it's through this community we learn to trust God, each other, and we grow in that love relationship. And I want you to see here that God has always had a community through which he draws the world to himself. There has always been a redemptive purpose behind the community. He wants to draw all men and women, boys and girls, to himself. And he still wants that right now, today. Whether you're watching this at home or you're here live, he wants you to be a part of this. Not in theory, but in reality. He wants you to be a part of, connected to, tactily responding and serving and a part of the body of Christ. 
And it's so powerful when we begin to understand that this command is still just as real to us today. The Matthew 22, 36 through 40 command to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and our neighbor as ourself. And we begin to do that. One of the first things that you'll realize is, whoa, people aren't perfect. People are imperfect. People have a lot of room for growth, Right? <laughs> And it'll make you want to push back. I've heard people say this. Well, you know, Pastor, I would attend your church, but I bet your church is like other churches. There's imperfect people that go there. And I'll quickly just say yes, and you're looking at one of them, right? We're all imperfect. But when people say, well, I'm not going to get into a relationship with somebody that, that isn't meeting my needs and, and, and dots all the I's and crosses all the T's. And, and, and in other words, I have my own 600 plus laws that you need to live up to. And unless you're willing to do that, I'm not in. I need to have the perfect church, the perfect friendship, the perfect marriage. And see what we've done? We've taken our consumer, North American, first world mentality and we brought it into the church. We brought it into our marriages. We brought it into our relationships. And we say, I'm out. If you can't do what I need you to do, I'll go find somebody else that will. Good luck with that. It doesn't exist. It does not, hear me, it does not exist. Have you ever noticed, guys, ladies, when you go from a single person to a married person in the first year or so, you're like, my gosh, where did I get all these problems from, right? Because <laughs> you were living by yourself. Nobody was pointing them out. Nobody was holding you accountable. Of course. Like, right now, now somebody's living with you. They see it, and they're bringing it up. This is your opportunity to grow or get really frustrated and mad and say, I'm out. But I'm telling you, this is what biblical community, when it's working right, and we're willing to submit ourselves to it, we're willing to be humble. We will humble ourselves before God. He will lift us up with his mighty hand in due time. He wants to bless you, but it's going to come through being willing to follow even in imperfect circumstances. Put it another way, no one matures in healthy, loving relationships with anyone, with God or people, right? If what we love is our idealized image of others and ourselves, it's this idealized picture of the perfect marriage, the perfect church, the perfect whatever, you fill in the blank. But the reality is there is no perfect. There's just you and there's just me and we're both imperfect and only God is perfect and we start there. We start with him, we start with us, we start loving that way. Because when we hold other people to an unrealistic standard and say, well, until they can jump over that bar, they can jump through the hoop for me, I'm out. You're holding them to a standard, let's be honest, you can't even hold to. And the only reason you think you can is because you're by yourself. You're isolated. You're secluded. And no growth happens like that. It comes from us being willing to give up the idealized images and say, I'm willing to accept the real over the ideal because the ideal doesn't exist. And it's beginning to say, God, I want you to meet me here and I'm willing to take a step into your community, into your people. And I want to start to grow like never before. 
And that's what this fall of 2021 could be for you as a beginning of an accelerated spiritual growth like you've never known before. Because God in this community, it's more than just the coming together of like-minded people. There is a powerful spiritual dimension that is happening here. And let me explain what I'm talking about. When Jesus gets the Apostle Paul, before he was the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, gets his attention when he's leaving and walking from Jerusalem north to Damascus, about 150 miles on foot. This is how zealous he was. He had gotten permission from the higher-ups, the Pharisees of Jerusalem, to go to Damascus and stamp out, to destroy and eliminate this movement called the Way. These Christian people that were following Jesus, this Messiah, there, there was competition for them. They were sick of it. He's like, I will go up there and I will put an end to this. And he's on the road up there, right? He's walking up. And all of a sudden, we're told, boom, boom. Light shone from heaven, and the voice of Jesus himself thunders down upon him. Can you imagine? That'll get your attention, right? He's blinded immediately, loses his sight. And what's the first thing Jesus says? Saul, why are you persecuting, let's say it together, persecuting me? These are his people that are being persecuted. Jesus sees his people as an extension of who he is. It's him on planet earth. We are his, not just representatives, we are literally the manifestation of Jesus' eyes and face and hands and legs and feet and heart. We're here to represent him, but he is very much with us. His Holy Spirit, if you're a follower of Jesus today, it's so important that you understand this, that you are a part of his presence. You are a part of his kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven. It starts first with us. When you prayed the Lord's Prayer, you better understand that didn't, that didn't happen somewhere way out there. That starts right here in Will Lewis. Am I open to let God's will be done fully through me on earth as it is in heaven? Because that's when the kingdom of God begins to manifest here and people see God. That's what they're craving today. That's what they're longing for. The apostle Paul hears this on this road to Damascus and he reiterates this idea that the church is the body of Christ. The church is the extension of Jesus over and over through the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, here's what he says. He says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Jesus reiterated this in his ministry. In Matthew 18, 20, 20, he said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. I am with them. I am right there. So when we come together, ladies and gentlemen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple, you're a Christian, you're, the, the Spirit of God is in you, and he is among us. Unlike any other social gathering of human beings anywhere is when the church of Jesus Christ comes together, there is a powerful presence of God. He is here in this room right now and he is speaking to your heart and I hope you're open to listen to it. He loves you and he is drawing you in and calling you to make that next step. And here's what, 
He later says, Paul later says in verse 27, same chapter, he says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And it's so important that you understand that every single one of you, every one of you at home, you are a part of this place. You are a part of this body. And we need every single part, right? We don't want to go around with even the little pinky lopped off, right? We want earlobes. We want whatever this is down here. We want, we want it all. We need everybody. We need every, because that is when our full potential, the full flourishing of the, the body of Christ happens when all his people show up and say, how can I help? Where can I serve? How can I be a part? I want to be in a small group. I want to serve. I want to be a part. I want to be more consistent. This isn't something I just want to casually do. I understand I belong. I'm a part of something much bigger than me, a redemptive purpose of God Almighty for planet Earth. And when I'm not here, when I skip out, and when I isolate and I seclude, I miss out, and so do other people. But it's easy when we start talking about community to back away because it's not easy. It's, it's, it's going to be tricky. It's going to be challenging at times. Whether we're talking about marriage, we're talking about friendship, we're talking about families, we're talking about church. In all of those situations, there are gonna be times where it is frustrating, it is painful, it is challenging because you and I are imperfect people, right? I'm imperfect and so are you. And when you get imperfect people together, there's going to be some challenges. It won't be always easy, ideal, smooth sailing. There are going to be times where there are challenges. But here's what's beautiful, that God promises that when we come together, he will continue to, his Holy Spirit is at work within us to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. In the midst of broken, sinful people, let's put it another way right here. In the midst of broken, sinful, frustrating people, God's Spirit is at work creating a transformed community. But this only happens if we resist the temptation to give up on one another and we keep coming and we stay committed and we keep desiring, I want God to work through this place. And what's beautiful is when we get honest about our faults and our shortcomings and our brokenness, that's when God's grace goes to work the most in us. You see, God's grace shows up when there is brokenness and sin. Apart from the humility to admit brokenness and sin, why do you need the, the grace of God? You're trying to self-justify. You're trying to be self-righteous. You're trying to be, I'm good enough. I don't need God. I don't need people which is an absolute deception. It is a false reality. It is a lie. Don't fall into that lie. We need each other. We need Jesus to lead us in the community of his people. And it's so important that we understand that that's where we will find the greatest blessing and measure of God's grace poured out on us. You see, community is a grand invitation to come and surrender which at its core is an invitation to trust. This is where we learn to trust. This is where we relearn. We get the wiring right. We get to unwire the bad wiring you got growing up and I got growing up by well-meaning people. They meant well. They probably were given bad wiring too when they were growing up. But we can get it from God, his immovable, unshakable word that will stand forever. He tells us only the souls of people and the word of God will stand for all time. 
And he says, you can live your life according to it and you will never regret it because it won't move on you. It is the solid rock that Jesus himself, the logos, the word, he says, I am the place you can come and find refuge and you can find a solid place to build your life that won't move. And it's found in me and in my people. And I want to encourage you today that God opens wide the door to the thing that your soul and my soul craves the most, coming to trust him fully. It is only when we fully learn to trust God that we find the peace that he promises and the joy. There is such joy because you know the outcomes are in the hands of God. He's got it. I don't care how bleak and bad and horrible things get. He's got it. His love is available. And it is, there's something powerful about when we come together as the body of Christ, that that becomes more tangible and real and manifested and, and present. We can see it, we can feel it, we can feel it on our skin, we can feel it in our heart. There's something that moves us. There's a power to the worship when you are in the room with people who are glorifying, lifting up the name of Jesus. It lifts your heart. It transforms you. There is a power that comes from us coming together and I understand once again some of you can't but many of you it's just a mere convenience that is keeping you away don't let it any longer once again thanks for listening if you live in the Brazos Valley we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services for directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.